Hey guys, it's Ellie, and this is Classic Mysteries. And today we're going to be finishing up The Adventure of the Cheap Flat by Agatha Christie. This is the third story in the series Poirot Investigates, and also the third Agatha Christie story we've done on the podcast, so that's pretty exciting. So yeah, uh, where we finished off last week was actually a very pivotal moment. It was a bit of a cliffhanger. <laughs> if you want all of the backstory, just listen to the last episode. But where we ended... Hastings and Poirot were chilling out in a suspicious apartment. They kind of broke in, so they were chilling there when they weren't supposed to be there. And then while they're in there, they see another intruder come in, and uh, they plan to sneak up on him. And then I ended the episode right when Poirot gave the command for them to spring on the intruder, even though they're already intruders. (laughs) So yeah, anyways, let's see what goes on when they spring on the stranger. With no more waffle, let's jump right in. We sprang together. Poirot, with a quick movement, enveloped the intruder's head with a light woolen scarf, whilst I pinioned his arms. The whole affair was quick and noiseless. I twisted a dagger from his hand, and as Poirot brought down the scarf from his eyes, whilst keeping it wrapped tightly around his mouth, I jerked up my revolver where he could see it and understand that resistance was useless. As he ceased to struggle, Poirot put his mouth close to his ear and began to whisper rapidly. After a minute, the man nodded. Then, enjoining silence with a movement of the hand, Poirot led the way out of the flat and down the stairs. Our captive followed, and I brought up the rear with a revolver. When we were out in the street, Poirot turned to me. There is a taxi waiting just around the corner. Give me the revolver. We shall not need it now. But if this fellow tries to escape? Poirot smiled. (laughs) He will not. I returned in a minute with the waiting taxi. The scarf had been unwound from the stranger's face, and I gave a start of surprise. He's not a Jap. I ejaculated in a whisper to Poirot. Observation was always your strong point, Hastings. Nothing escapes you. No, the man is not a Jap. He is an Italian. We got into the taxi, and Poirot gave the driver an address in St. John's Wood. I was by now completely fogged. I did not like to ask Poirot where we were going in front of our captive, and strove in vain to obtain some light upon the proceedings. We alighted at the door of a small house standing back from the road. A returning wayfarer, slightly drunk, was lurching along the pavement and almost collided with Poirot, who said something sharply to him which I did not catch. All three of us went up the steps of the house. Poirot rang the bell and motioned us to stand a little aside. There was no answer, and he rang again, and then seized the knocker which he plied for some minutes vigorously. A light appeared suddenly above the fanlight, and the door was opened cautiously a little way. "'What the devil do you want?' a man's voice demanded harshly. I want the doctor. My wife has taken ill. There's no doctor here. The man prepared to shut the door, but Poirot thrust his foot in adroitly. He became suddenly a perfect caricature of an infuriated Frenchman. What do you say there is no doctor? I will have the law of you. You must come. I will stay here and ring and knock all night. My dear sir. The door was opened again. The man, clad in a dressing gown and slippers, stepped forward to pacify Poirot with an uneasy glance around. I will call the police. Poirot prepared to descend the steps. No, don't do that for heaven's sake. The man dashed after him. With a neat push, Poirot sent him staggering down the steps. In another minute, all three of us were inside the door, and it was pushed to and bolted. Quick, in here. Poirot led the way into the nearest room, switching on the light as he did so. And you, behind the curtain. Si, signor said the Italian, and slid rapidly behind the full folds of the rose-colored velvet which had draped the embrasure of the window. Not a minute too soon, 
Just as he disappeared from view, a woman rushed into the room. She was tall with reddish hair and held a scarlet kimono around her slender form. Where is my husband? She cried with a quick frightened glance. Who are you? Poirot stepped forward with a bow. It is to be hoped your husband will not suffer from a chill. I observed that he had slippers on his feet and that his dressing gown was a warm one. Who are you? What are you doing in my house? It is true that none of us have the pleasure of your acquaintance, madame. It is especially to be regretted, as one of our number has come specially from New York in order to meet you. The curtains parted and the Italian stepped out. To my horror, I observed that he was brandishing my revolver, which Poirot must doubtless have put down through inadvertence in the cab. The woman gave a piercing scream and turned to fly, but Poirot was standing in front of the closed door. Let me by, she shrieked. He will murder me. Who was it that croaked Luigi Valdarno? Asked the Italian hoarsely, brandishing the weapon and sweeping each one of us with it. We dared not move. With my little experience with the Poirot series, I know that Poirot never makes mistakes. He's almost like a Mary Sue, but not quite, you know? <laughs> he, he just doesn't make any mistakes, so I'm sure that the Italian having the gun is very intentional. And if it's not, I mean, dude, he's losing his touch, man. <laughs> I highly doubt that Poirot would just inadvertently set down a freaking loaded gun next to a captive that they're bringing around. I mean, that's just not something he'd do. So I'm sure this was all kind of planned out by Poirot. So I'm kind of curious where it goes and what his plan is to begin with, you know? My god, Poirot, this is awful! What shall we do? I cried. You will oblige me by refraining from talking so much, Hastings. I can assure you that our friend will not shoot until I give the word. You sure that, eh? Said the Italian, leering unpleasantly. It was more than I was, but the woman turned to Poirot like a flash. What is it you want? Poirot bowed. I do not think it is necessary to insult Miss Elsa Hart's intelligence by telling her. With a swift movement, the woman snatched up a big black velvet cat, which served as a cover for the telephone. They are stitched in the lining of that. Clever, murmured Poirot appreciatively. He stood aside from the door. Good evening, madame. I will detain your friend from New York whilst you make your getaway. What a fool! roared the big Italian, and raising the revolver, he fired point-blank at the woman's retreating figure, just as I flung myself upon him. But the weapon merely clicked harmlessly, and Poirot's voice rose in mild reproof. Never will you trust your old friend, Hastings. I do not care for my friends to carry loaded pistols about with them, and never would I permit a mere acquaintance to do so. <laughs> no, no, mon ami. This to the Italian, who was swearing hoarsely. Poirot continued to address him in a tone of mild reproof. See now what I've done for you. I've saved you from being hanged. And do not think that our beautiful lady will escape. No, no. The house is watched, back and front. Straight into the arms of the police they will go. Is not that a beautiful and consoling thought? Yes, you may leave the room now. But be careful. Be very careful. I... Ah, he is gone! And my friend Hastings looks at me with eyes of reproach. But it was all so simple. It was clear from the first that out of several hundred, probably applicants for number four Montague mansions, only the Robinsons were considered suitable. Why? What was there that singled them out from the rest, at practically a glance? Their appearance? Possibly, but it was not so unusual. Their name, then? But there's nothing unusual about the name of Robinson, I cried. It's quite a common name. Ah, Sapristi, but exactly. That was the point. Elsa Hart and her husband, or brother, or whatever he really is, 
came from New York and take a flat in the name of Mr. and Mrs. Robinson. Suddenly, they learn that one of these secret societies, the Mafia or the Camorra, to which doubtless Luigi Valdarno belonged, is on their track. What do they do? They hit on a scheme of transparent simplicity. Evidently, they knew that their pursuers were not personally acquainted with either of them. What then can be simpler? They offer the flat at an absurdly low rental. Of the thousands of young couples in London looking for flats, there cannot fail to be several Robinsons. It is only a matter of waiting. If you will look at the name of Robinson in the telephone directory, you will realize that a fair-haired Mrs. Robinson was pretty sure to come along sooner or later. Then what will happen? The Avenger arrives. He knows the name. He knows the address. He strikes. All is over. Vengeance is satisfied. And Miss Elsa Hart has escaped by the skin of her teeth once more. By the way, Hastings, you must present me to the real Mrs. Robinson, that delightful and truthful creature. What will they think when they find their flat has been broken into? We must hurry back. Ah, that sounds like Jap and his friends arriving. A mighty tattoo sounded on the knocker. How did you know this address? I asked as I followed Poirot out into the hall. Oh, of course, you had the first Mrs. Robinson followed when she left the other flat. A la bonne heure, Hastings. You use your gray cells at last. Now, for a little surprise for Jap. Softly unbolting the door, he stuck the cat's head round the edge and ejaculated a piercing, Meow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what a strategy. <laughs> the Scotland Yard inspector, who was standing outside with another man, jumped in spite of himself. Ah, it's only Monsieur Poirot at one of his little jokes, he exclaimed, as Poirot's head followed that of the cat. Let us in, Monsieur. You have a friend safe and sound? Yeah, we've got all the birds all right, but they hadn't got the goods with them. I see. So you come to search. Well, I'm about to depart with Hastings, but I should like to give you a little lecture upon the history and habits of the domestic cat. For the Lord's sake, have you gone completely balmy? The cat, declaimed Poirot, was worshipped by ancient Egyptians. It is still regarded as a symbol of good luck if a black cat crosses your path. This cat crossed your path tonight, Jap. To speak of the interior of any animal or any person is not, I know, considered polite in England. But the interior of this cat is perfectly delicate. I refer to the lining. With a sudden grunt, the second man seized the cat from Poirot's hand. Oh, I forgot to introduce you, said Jap. Mr. Poirot, this is Mr. Burt of the United States Secret Service. The American's trained fingers had felt what he was looking for. He held out his hand, and for a moment, speech failed him. Then he rose to the occasion. Pleased to meet you, said Mr. Burt. Ooh, that actually is the end of the story right there. Whew. Dang, this ended up not only being a weirdly cheap flat, but then it spiraled deeper and deeper into like an international spy ring. So that's pretty cool. I enjoy how it went from a weird anecdote at a party to capturing an international spy that is stealing American plans. I mean, come on, how cool is that, right? <laughs> <laughs> we love a good international espionage story. <laughs> that was very clever. I enjoyed uh, the whole explanation that Poirot gave. That was very eye-opening. And oh my goodness, dude, how did he, how did he figure all that out? Like, <laughs> we were not given that much information, but hot dang, he really made the most of it, huh? <laughs> I guess that's kind of every Agatha Christie story, huh? Anyway, so. That was a great episode, and I really enjoyed it. It was a very, very short episode. I tried to cut the story in half, but again, it's kind of impossible to tell which is half when you've never really read the story before. 
I tried to like count pages to figure out the halfway point, but apparently I was off. So yeah, I apologize for the really short episodes that I've been doing recently, but you know, it's it's been kind of a nice break because I did really long episodes for three months t- so I could get through Bulldog Drummond as quickly as I could. So yeah, anyways, I just have a couple things to say. So if you enjoyed the podcast or if you have any feedback or comments, then you can communicate with me at classicmysteriespod at gmail.com. I also take uh, recommendations for books or logic puzzles or authors, anything like that. Feel free, give me, I would really appreciate that. Also, if you're on any podcast app or software or other sort of device that you can listen to podcasts on, where you can engage with the podcast or you can like or comment or leave a review, I would really appreciate it if you would do that. Because engaging with this podcast helps spread it around and like I've mentioned many times before, these stories are really cool. Even though they're really old, like, we're still reading them a century later. That means they're pretty dang good to have stuck around this long, yeah? (laughs) So yeah, I think that more people should be able to hear these stories and to appreciate these stories. And I try and make these stories as accessible as I can. I mean, obviously I'm still reading the original text, but, you know, I try and make it fun. So yeah. Thirdly, there are those two links in the show notes that I mention every week. One is just to directly donate to me via PayPal. And the second one is to become a patron. So if you want to check either of those out, feel free. They're right in the show notes. And um, yeah, I had a wonderful week this week. And I hope that you have a delightful week as well. So I'll see you guys next Monday. Bye.